The Canterville Ghost by Oscar Wilde. The audio version performed by the Miami Radio Players. About ten minutes later, the bell rang for tea. As Virginia has not come down, send up to her to tell her we're here at tea. The lady's maid returned a little later. Madam, I am unable to find Miss Virginia anywhere. Then she must be in the garden getting flowers for the dinner table, as she loves to do. But when six o'clock struck and Virginia did not appear, Mrs. Otis became really agitated. You boys must go outside to look for her, and Papa and I will search every room in the house. They could find no trace of Virginia anywhere, and were all now in the greatest state of excitement. I gave a band of gypsies permission to camp in the park. I, I shall set off at once to see if she is there. Washington, you will come with me and two farm servants. But on arrival at the camp, the gypsies had left, evidently in haste as the fire was still burning and some plates were lying on the grass. Washington, you will continue to scour the district while I run home and dispatch telegrams to all the police inspectors in the county. Once the telegrams were dispatched, and insisting that his wife remained with the twins and had their dinner, he ordered his horse to be brought round and rode off down the Ascot Road with his groom. He had hardly gone a couple of miles when he heard someone galloping after him. Looking round, he saw it was the young Duke of Cheshire, his face very flushed. I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Otis, but I beg to be allowed to go with you. Please don't be angry with me. If you had let us be engaged last year, there would never have been all of this trouble. You won't send me back, will you? I can't go. I won't go. Well, Cecil, if you won't go back, I suppose you must come with me. They galloped on to the railway station. Station master! Has anyone answering the description of my daughter Virginia been seen on the platform? Oh, no news of anyone, sir. But I shall wire up and down the line and uh, keep a strict watch for her. And Cecil, we shall ride off to Bexley, a village four miles from here and well-known haunt of gypsies. At Bexley, they roused up the rural policeman, but they could get no information from him. And after riding all over the common, they turned their horses' heads homewards, and reached Canterville Chase about 11 o'clock, dead tired and almost heartbroken. They found Washington and the twins waiting for them at the gatehouse with lanterns as the avenue was very dark. Not the slightest trace of Virginia had been discovered. The gypsies had been caught up with on Broxley Meadows, but she was not with them. Indeed, four of their number returned to help with the search. Sir? We are so very grateful that you allowed us to camp in your park, and we are deeply distressed to hear of your daughter's disappearance. We went off in a hurry when we realized we had mistaken the date of the Torton Fair, and we feared we might be late. Four of us, however, have remained behind, so we can help you search. The carp pond was dragged and the whole chase gone over, but without any result. It was in the state of deepest depression that Mr. Otis and the boys walked up to the house, where they found a group of frightened servants and poor Mrs. Otis almost out of her mind with terror and anxiety, having her forehead bathed with eau de cologne by old Mrs. Umney. Mr. Otis at once insisted on her having something to eat and ordered up supper for the whole party. 
It was a melancholy meal as hardly anyone spoke, and even, even the twins were awestruck and subdued as they were very fond of their sister. When they were finished, in spite of the entreaties of the young Duke of Cheshire, Mr. Otis ordered them all to bed. Nothing more can be done tonight. In the morning, I shall telegraph to Scotland Yard for some detectives to be sent down immediately. Just as they were passing out of the dining room, midnight began to boom from the clock tower. When the last stroke sounded, they heard a crash and a sudden shrill cry. And out on the landing, looking very pale, and with a little casket in her hand, stepped Virginia. Mrs. Otis clasped her passionately in her arms. Virginia, my own darling! The Duke of Cheshire smothered her with violent kisses, and the twins executed a wild war dance around the group. Good heavens, child, where have you been? Cecil and I have been riding all over the country and your mother has been frightened to death. You must never play these practical jokes anymore. My own darling, thank God you are found. You must never leave my side again. Papa, I have been with the ghost. He is dead. You must come and see him. He has been very wicked, but he was really sorry for all that he had done. And he gave me this box of beautiful jewels before he died. The whole family gazed at her in mute astonishment. Turning round, she led them through the wainscoting down a narrow secret corridor, Washington following with a lighted candle, and they came to a great oak door studded with rusty nails. When Virginia touched it, it swung back on its heavy hinges. And they found themselves in a little low room with one tiny grated window. Embedded in the wall was a huge iron ring, and chained to it was a gaunt skeleton that was stretched out at full length along the stone floor and seemed to be trying to grasp with its long fleshless fingers an old-fashioned trencher and jug that were placed just out of reach. Virginia knelt down beside the skeleton and began to pray silently while the rest of the party looked on in wonder at the terrible tragedy whose secret was now disclosed to them. Oh. Hello! We can see the old withered almond tree outside. It has blossomed. We can see the flowers quite plainly in the moonlight. God has forgiven him. What an angel you are. And he put his arm around her neck and kissed her. Four days after these curious events, a funeral started from Canterville Chase at about 11 o'clock at night. The hearse was drawn by eight black horses, each of which carried on its head a great tuft of ostrich plumes, and the leaden coffin was covered in a rich purple pall, on which was embroidered in gold the Canterville Arms. By the side of the hearse and the coaches walked the servants with lighted torches, and the whole procession was wonderfully impressive. 
Lord Canterville was the chief mourner and sat in the first carriage with Virginia. Then came the United States minister, Mr. Otis and his wife, then Washington and the twins, and in the last carriage was the housekeeper, Mrs. Umney. It was generally felt that as she had been frightened by the ghost for more than 50 years of her life, she had a right to see the last of him. As the coffin was being lowered into a deep grave under the old yew tree in the churchyard, the moon came out from behind a cloud and flooded with silent silver the little churchyard, and from a distant copse, a nightingale began to sing. The next morning, Mr. Otis had an interview with Lord Canterville on the subject of the jewels the ghost had given to Virginia. My lord, it is quite clear to me that these jewels are or should be, heirlooms in your family. My daughter, I am glad to say, has yet but little interest in such appurtenances of idle luxury, and I am also informed by Mrs. Otis, who I may say is no mean authority upon art, that these gems are of great monetary worth. Under these circumstances, I am sure you'll recognize how impossible it would be for me to allow them to remain in the possession of any member of my family. Perhaps I should mention that Virginia is very anxious that you should allow her to retain the box as a memento of your unfortunate but misguided ancestor. My dear sir, your charming daughter rendered my unlucky ancestor, Sir Simon, a very important service, and I and my family are much indebted to her for her marvelous courage. The jewels are clearly hers, and egad, I believe that if I were heartless enough to take them from her, the wicked old fellow would be out of his grave in a fortnight leading me the devil of a life. The good-natured peer was quite firm and finally induced Mr. Otis to retain the present the ghost had given her. And when, in the spring, the young Duchess of Cheshire was presented at the Queen's first drawing-room on the occasion of her marriage, her jewels were the universal theme of admiration. The Duke and Duchess, after the honeymoon was over, went down to Canterville Chase and on the day after their arrival, they walked over in the afternoon to the lonely churchyard by the pine woods. The Duchess had brought some lovely roses which she strewed upon the grave, and then sat on a fallen pillar while her husband lay at her feet, smoking a cigarette. Suddenly, he threw the cigarette away and took hold of her hands. Virginia. A wife should have no secrets from her husband. Dear Cecil, I have no secrets from you. Yes, yes you have. You have never told me what happened to you when you were locked up with the ghost. I have never told anyone. I know that, but you might tell me. Please, don't ask me, Cecil. I cannot tell you. Poor Sir Simon, I owe him a great deal. Yes. Don't laugh, Cecil. I really do. He made me see what life is and what death signifies and why love is stronger than both. Then you can have your secret as long as I have your heart. You have always had that, Cecil. And you will tell our children someday, won't you? And Virginia blushed. <laughs> 